Welcome to the Faith for My Generation podcast, where our vision is to shake and shape a generation with the power of God's Word. We're on one mission, to raise up a generation of powerful believers through the relevant teaching of God's Word. I'm so thankful that you're here today. I'm your host, AJ. Let's get into the episode. Welcome to the Faith for My Generation podcast. I'm your host, AJ, and it's my pleasure to have the opportunity today to interview and have on the show Pastor Cade Young. Pastor Cade, thank you so much for joining us on the Faith for My Generation podcast. Hey, man, thanks so much for having me. It's an honor to be here. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I know there's a lot of things that you're involved in, and I've been following you actually longer than I realized, and we'll get into that in just a moment. Uh, But I just received your book, Jesus Ain't Woke, and I read through it. Man, it's an awesome book. I'm so thankful that you uh, were obedient to write that as the Holy Spirit led you. It's got a lot of very powerful points throughout it, and I think everyone should read it that really wants to see through this, uh, this guise of woke Christianity. But before we get into that, can you let the podcast family know who you are and a little bit about yourself and what have you went through to get to this point where you are today? Yeah, man. So, of course, first of all, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. That probably goes without saying pretty obvious, but man, I I love that. And secondly, I'm a husband to my wife. Uh, We've been married almost 15 years now. We got married right out of high school. We were 18 years old. People thought we were crazy, but here we are 15 years later, and it's awesome. I wouldn't trade it for anything. Um, We're about to welcome our fifth kiddo into the world. Um, And what's crazy about that is we've had five kids in six years. Our oldest is six. So as you can imagine, our house is, uh, is full of life, man. We, we love it. It's, it's a good challenge, but you know, all those challenges are overcome by love and all the fun that goes on here. Kids are, I'm a father. I'm a Um, father of one and she's uh, 17 months as of three days ago. So I can imagine multiplying that by five, how awesome that is. <laughs> well, man, it, it, it's time to get started on that next one then. 17 months. Yeah, here's I perfect timing. What am I waiting on? <laughs> <laughs> well, so that's, that's a little bit about my personal life as far as like what you'd call my professional life, I guess, is I'm a pastor at No Limits Church in Owasso. And Owasso is a city that's a suburb of Tulsa. Um, I'm the author of Jesus Ain't Woke. You mentioned that earlier. And I'm also an entrepreneur, and my main project right now is, um, it's called Collaborate Worship, and it's a blog and a YouTube channel where I teach churches how to create great sounds. So if you're a pastor and you're struggling with sound, just go to YouTube, type in Collaborate Worship. You'll find me there. I teach you everything from EQ to set and gain to all that good stuff. So yeah, that's that's what I'm up to. And that's how I found out that I was actually following you longer than I realized I was following you. Uh, was through Collaborate Worship. That's uh, my church, Gospel Tabernacle here in Lawrence, um, South Carolina. We, I mean, we've made a resource or used that resource of Collaborate Worship for years now, downloading all the cheat sheets, you know, the, the quick cheat sheet, how to EQ your drums, the vocal mics, everything. Man, it's so, what a wonderful resource. And it's so well done. It's so excellent. And of course, all the videos on YouTube. And um, if I'm, if I get this incorrect, correct me. Uh, but is it Church Sound Made Easy is the online course that you got? Close. Church Sound Made Simple. Made Simple. One word off. Well, we're, we're students there, too. We bought the access to that, and our and our tech team goes to that. Man, it's such a great resource. And, um, and so the, I guess it was probably 
I don't know, maybe three, six months ago, somewhere in that time frame, I'm scrolling through Instagram and I see your Instagram profile. I was like, hey, wait a minute. I know that name. I didn't I didn't connect it with the pastor in front of it, but Kate Young, wait a minute, that sounds super familiar. Oh, that's the Collaborate Worship guy. And then, so that's when I stumble across Jesus Ain't Woke. Uh, I guess at that point you had the book coming out and you were doing different teachings. I find you on YouTube with your YouTube channel. And uh, as of recently, I found the No Limits Church on YouTube as well. been going through some of the uh, the series that you did a replay of. Is it Different? I think it's the name yep. of it, Different, where you're going through the, yep. uh You actually taught it maybe a year or so ago, and you're going back through it again. But that's a great series as well. I've been really enjoying that. Well, thanks, man. And I bet uh, people are kind of wondering, how does the Collaborate Worship guy you know, become a lead pastor? So I'll give you that story just real quick. Yes, I helped my dad start our church 14 years ago. Um, and for the first 10 years of that, I was the worship leader. He was the pastor, and then he passed the baton over to me. So I've been lead pastor for three, almost four years now. Um, but whenever we started the church, my dad sent me to Rama uh, two years into the church. So I'm a graduate of Rama Bible College. And then I started Collaborate Worship shortly after I graduated Rama. So that was about seven, eight years ago that I started Collaborate Worship. And it started out really small. I was just trying to help my worship leader friends in the community. And then it grew beyond my wildest imagination. I give all the credit to God and the leading of the Holy Spirit. I was just being obedient and then he blessed it. So, I mean, now hundreds of thousands of people every year are going to learn about sound at Collaborate Worship. I have thousands of students in my course. It's, it's just, it's incredible. But yeah, so that's that's the story. So still doing the Collaborate Worship thing and felt a little bit like a, um, uh, in, what do you call that? Um, I don't know. I just, I was like, does it fit for me to continue collaborate worship as a pastor? And I felt led to continue that. So God's helped me figure that out. I have a team now that helps me. My brother is our creative director at collaborate worship. He's handling a big majority of the work now. I'm so thankful for him. We also have a part-time video editor. So, you know, God just has his way of, of making things multiply and, and keep going. Yeah, that's so awesome. I think what's, uh, in just what, in, in you giving us that brief, journey of what you went through and and how those things came about collaborate worship through bible school and then entering into lead pastor um i think it's interesting it, you see that so often that when we will manage well what god's given us you know the bible tells us despise not the day of small beginnings if we'll just take what god has given us and manage that well and and keep showing up and keep doing excellent work and doing our best and giving it our all god will bless it and then it, it just keeps multiplying it gets bigger it gets bigger and uh, I think that's great, too, as well, because it wasn't like you had to close it off. I mean, you're just letting this continue to grow. I think that's one of the beautiful things uh, practically about, like, YouTube. So many of your videos, they're evergreen, right? It's not something that's just good in 2019. Like, you're always going to need to know how to EQ a mic. <laughs> and so they're just evergreen things that you can put out there. It's a seed that's planted, and it just, over time, it's just, I was looking back through the channel just today, you know, 20, 30,000 views on different things. And uh, that's that's really awesome. And, and it's a testament that God will bless the diligent hand. He'll bless the work of our hands. Yeah, and I'll give you a quick word on that. I know this isn't the topic of the day, but whenever I started Collaborate Worship, I mean, as every week I was writing a blog post and not really seeing mm -hmm. any return. And I did that for two years. I mean, wow. people are like, 
you know, this was an overnight success. You know, you're so lucky to have a YouTube channel that makes money and blah, 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 blah. And it's like, yeah, but you don't see the two, three years that I was kicking out content every week and not seeing any, any return for my work, but I kept going and kept going. I didn't give up. And I mean, that's really the key phrase right there. Be diligent in what God asks you to do and don't give up regardless of how long it takes for you to see the harvest from all your seeds sown. Just don't give up and, and you're going to see the harvest. Yeah. What's that? Galatians 6 tells us that if we faint not in doing good, we'll reap a harvest mm -hmm. of righteousness. I mean, if we'll just keep plugging away. And I, you talk about the overnight success. I can't remember who to attribute this to, but I remember I was listening to someone and um, they said every overnight success is just years of diligence. And it just happened one day it clicked. And that's when people notice like, oh, you're awesome. Where'd you come from? Oh, you're out of nowhere. It's like, well, I've been here for about 15 years. I've just been diligently plugging away. <laughs> but uh, yep, so, so what's... What's interesting, something I connected with you, and I didn't realize this, I guess until I was reading through the beginning of uh, Jesus Ain't Woke, um, that you're a pastor's son, and you worked with your father planning this church, No Limits Church, and uh, I'm a pastor's son as well. Uh, my father and mother pioneered Gospel Tabernacle here in Lawrence. Some of the podcast family already knows that, uh, but... I I'm, was doing worship leading for, for several years, and now I'm in an associate pastor position and still leading worship, but fulfilling that call to teach and preach the gospel. And, and so I connected with you on that. Uh, tell me, how, does, um, how did that work in that transition period of worship pastor to lead pastor? Obviously, working alongside not just your father. I know you'll understand this as well. It's a, it's a spiritual thing to have your father, uh, your natural father there, but also realize, hey, he's my pastor as well. And that's something for me, the Holy Spirit had to work in my heart because, you know, around those 20-something-year-old time, 21, 22, like I have this attitude like, well, it's dad, it's dad. But then like the Holy Spirit had to do a work in my heart that, hey, he's your father, but you're called here, and that means he's your pastor. So you're going to have to learn this honor and learn this really well. I actually have a banner on back here that says humility comes before honor, just to keep it always in mm. front of the mind. <laughs> yeah, man, you're taking me all the way back to, you know, early in the church. I think we were three or four years in, and I always thought that I had the, you know, better opinions about how church should go and things like that. And, you know, my dad was just out of touch. He was just, you know, a little bit older, so he just didn't get it and things like that. And I remember one day my dad finally sat me down like he had just, I'd pushed him to the edge. He had had enough. And he's like, Kate, you know, you stop sharing your opinion. You either stop sharing your opinion or you can step off the leadership team because I can't take it anymore. And I walked wow. away from that meeting so frustrated and so mad. I was just like, I'm not ever going back to church there. I can't believe he doesn't appreciate me and blah, 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 blah. And then the Holy Spirit did a work in my heart that night. And and it's, it's just like all, all the ugliness of my opinions flashed before my face like in a second. I was like, oh my gosh, that's terrible. I've been doing that to my dad. And and you know, from that point, I apologized to him and, and I just got quiet at that point. Like I'm here to serve. And I mean, that changed not just the relationship for me and my dad, but every other relationship as well, whenever I had leaders over me, just respecting their authority, respecting their le leadership and learning the true art of submission and authority. I even had a class mm. in Rama that was called Submission and Authority. You can imagine how fun that class was. But, <laughs> you know, you learn those things and it actually, it, lead, it leads you to freedom, doesn't it? Because no longer are you yeah. like pushing against the one that's in charge because you think that you have the better idea, but you're just there to submit to the leader's vision, help them accomplish their vision. And, you know, maybe one day you'll be the point leader, but you don't want to step into that unless God leads you to do that. Yeah, that's, that's so powerful. Uh, Jesus reminds us of that. I, I was just... Um, 
doing a series actually on the podcast channel. The second episode released um, earlier today when we're recording this today. Uh, But in part of being a, if you want to be a follower of Jesus, you want to preach Christ, one of the things that's necessary is you're going to have to be a servant. And I mean, Jesus reminded us of that, that the Son of Man, he came not to be served, but to become a servant. And there he is, he's washing the feet of the disciples. And I think that's so necessary. It's obvious, obviously it's necessary because it's commanded in Scripture, but you're not going to get very far down the road if you always have to be the, the lead guy. If you're always, my opinion, it's either my way or the highway. Uh, you're just not going to get far with people. And, and it's so uh, beautiful when you see the Spirit of Christ, like, in Philippians 2 where it says you know the mind of Christ that he would humble himself though being God he would humble himself to humanity what better display of what it looks like to be submissive to authority to do the will of the Father and you you can I'm sure it was in same way for you as it was with me when you get in that place of humbling yourself and honoring those before you whether it's in our our type of situation where it's someone that we're so close to and intimate with is also a leader but regardless, if you begin to honor that person that God set above you, uh, that's when the blessing comes, and that's when fruitfulness takes place. So tell us about that. So you've been lead pastor, you said, for three years now at No Limits Church? Yep. Yeah, and so the transition was it was interesting. Um, I was always, even though I was a worship leader at church, I was really the second guy. Like that's how our church perceived my role in the church because I'd always been around and and I was making a lot of decisions. I wasn't just leading worship, but I was also managing the financial side of the church and some other things too. And so whenever the transition came, whenever um, it, people, it seems like it would just go really easy and really smoothly because I was already like a key leader in the church. But I mean, there was there was also some challenges. But as far as between me and my dad, there were no challenges at all because my dad had been ready to pass the church on to somebody for like... Uh, two years at this point, like I think seven, eight years into the church, he's like, all right, like my, my season's over here. Like I need to pass this on, but he didn't know who it was going to go to. And everybody'd be like, it's Cade, it's Cade. And I'd be like, nah, it is not Cade. Cade is here to be the worship leader. That is my role here. And, um, then one day I was out hiking and the Lord dropped the vision of the church on me. And it's Mm -hmm. just like, I knew like, oh, this is the pastoral mantle being put on me because up to this point, I didn't carry the vision for the church. I was submitting to my dad's vision. And then all of a sudden I had the vision for where the church needed to go. So I told my dad about that encounter and he was just like, thank God, you know, I've been waiting on this for years. He would have just passed the church on to me over to me that day. And I was just like, dad, we can't do that. Like we got to take a little bit of time for this transition because we don't want to freak people out. And so we did take some time, but probably not as long as we should, because he was just so eager to move on to the next thing that God was calling him to. So um, I'd say probably like three, four months into after this discussion that we had, we he got before the church and he's like, all right, guys, I'm passing the baton to Cade. Cade's the lead pastor now. And, and most everybody received it. Um, but as the time went on, I... I'll, I'm my dad's son, but I'm not my dad, you know? He preaches mm-hmm. different and... I'm more of a teacher. He was more of a preacher. So he's the guy that can get up there and like, you know, just get you excited and pumped. And I get up there and teach you. It's like, I want you to get the word. And so I'm just like getting deep into teaching. And so people just had to get used to that. And of course, you know, some people left the church um, because they felt like they couldn't connect with where God was leading us next. And, and that was fine. But I would say it took a good year, maybe two years for the transition period to really smooth out. And, you know, lucky for me, all that transition was going on during when the COVID drama blew up in 2020. Mm. So I got my initiation into lead pastoring, you know, along with, with 
navigating COVID. So that was a lot of fun. <laughs> oh, I can I can imagine. Yeah, with all the all the politics thrown in, and and then everybody overnight became you know experts <laughs> on 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 you know mask and disease and everything. But uh, yeah, uh, what stuck out to me in what you just said there, uh, it's really it's really obviously the Lord moving on you to realize that you are your father's son, but you're not your father. Uh, in younger version of me, I had to really come to terms with that because I knew I was called to, to teach and preach the word. And, and eventually I re- realized as well, you know, that I'm called into this pastoring position. But I had to realize that he's called me. He didn't call me to be like someone else. You know, I, if depending on, especially younger, if, if I listen to a lot of you probably know missionary evangelist T.L. Osborne. If I listen to a bunch of him, he he has you know he rhymes or or Brother Hagen from Raymond right from Rama. If I listen to a bunch of, of their teaching, I might try to implement or replicate them, and it just would always come off like okay, we can tell you listen to a bunch of you know Osborne or Hagen this past week, you know just be yourself. And once I realized, hey, you know what, God's called me, and He's going to work through me and my personality and. And maybe there's some things that need to be clipped or pruned, of course, but he's going to work through me. And, and there's going to be some people that connect and some people that don't. And we pray the best for those that, that may go somewhere else. But you just, you know, you grab a hold of what God's given you and you run with it and be, be the version of you that God's called you to be. Yeah, for sure. And I actually met with a guy today who found me through Collaborate Worship. And then he found out I was in Owasso and he lives like 30 minutes down the street. So he's like, let's meet for lunch. So we met for lunch and we were just kind of talking about that, about how, when are we going to become the body of Christ and realize that, you know, churches, like we're all after the same goal, evangelizing the world, telling them about Jesus Christ, leading people to Jesus. But the way we do that is going to be different. And, and, you know, all this time we've been fighting about that, like, well, my way is better. My way is better. It's like, no, your, your way is just, that's how God's leading you. That's the vision he's put on your church. You should own it and you should run with it, but you should also respect the church down the street that's doing things differently, that they're doing what God's asked them to do. Yeah. I mean, Paul and Peter is a good example. Paul, he's called to the Gentiles. Peter's he's he's teaching and preaching to the Hebrews. But even then, Paul had to bring a little bit of correction to Peter with like, "Hey, wait a minute, you're you're acting a little bit different depending on who you're around." But you know, there's different ministries, there are different callings. Uh, speaking of ministries and callings, as a pastor, tell us what's the, what's the thing you love the most about pastoring? What's something that you may not love it, but it's part of the job that part of the call that you have to do. Well, what I love most is seeing people get it, no, no matter how long it takes them to get it. But like if I've been teaching them about, you know, God's desire for them to live in wealth and prosperity and, and then somebody like takes that and they actually go and apply it to their life and they see the manifestation of believing what mm-hmm. the word of God says about that. I'm just like, yes, I love that. And is there a particular part of pastoring where it's like, ah, I don't, I don't particularly enjoy this part that much, but it's necessary. And it goes right in line with that. I hate seeing people struggle because they decide to put Mm. things before the word of God, because that can go on for years and years and years. And I'm just like, and, and you have to watch it. You know, every Sunday you see that person come in with the same struggle or the same thing that's holding them back and, and you're teaching them and you're preaching and you're trying to help them out of it, but they just don't receive it. I mean, that's, that's probably the hardest thing about pastoring for me. Yeah, definitely. It's, you know, I guess you see that in the ministry of Jesus in the Gospels. He comes to that, I can't remember exactly, but he comes to that one town and and it's so 
to me, it's almost comical the way the way it's written in the Bible. But it said he could do no no mighty miracles except heal, heal a few sick folk. You know, and I'm thinking, wow, you know that <laughs> he had a rough day. He could only heal a few sick folk. But then it says immediately <laughs> he begins to preach and teach, and that's that's always the answer, isn't it? It's the word of God. The mm-hmm. word of God is the mess. It's the vehicle. The word of God is the vehicle that carries the power of God. And when you receive the word, you believe it, you act on it then the power of God's manifested in your life. But if you don't receive it through that means by obedience and faithfulness to the Lord and His Word, then that power is not released. It's not manifested. And, and it's almost it's so simple, but it's so simple. Sometimes people think, i got to have something else. <laughs> I've got to have something added to it. And uh, that, that is so frustrating. It can be, it's one of those things I think um, as a pastor, you know, you... You carry that into your prayer closet. You carry that in your heart because you you want to see people. You're a shepherd, right? And you're walking through the pasture, and you see certain sheep, and and you want those sheep to be well, not sickly. You don't want them to be hurt. You want them to be bound up and healed and whole and strengthened. So that's um that's the true heart of a pastor. <laughs> I would absolutely yeah, Jesus, agree with that. Jesus warned us about all this, right? In the parable of the sower, you're going to sow seed, you're going to sow the word into people's lives, and it's going to fall on stony ground because of the cares of this world and all that. And so, I mean, it's hard to sow that seed and just see it blow away in the wind or whatever. Yeah, it is. And I can imagine, or I can't imagine how, I feel like I can relate to a degree, but imagine the same way with, with Christ, not just in his earthly ministry, but now. I mean, the way the gospel is just propagated throughout the world through YouTube and through podcasting and churches and, and just constantly being poured out for a time and a season to receive it and believe on Him. And, um, you know, that, that shows how powerful God's love is for mankind and humanity that He knew that some still wouldn't receive, but He still would freely give and make it available to all so that they had the opportunity to do it. Yep. What do you think as a, as a pastor... What does it take to pastor people if there was a particular, I don't know, ingredient in, in, in the call? What does it take to pastor people? I think it boils down to two things, patience and humility. I mean, you have to be so patient with people as they grow because they're not going to get it as fast as you want them to. And I was just reading that in in the book of Philippians the other day about how that's just, that's our calling really as believers to be patient with one another, be patient with one another's faults. Right. And so Mm -hmm. that's just when you're a pastor, you have a full congregation sitting in front of you that you have to be patient with. And then also, like I said, humility, um, because I think there's a, there's this kind of idea that when you're the pastor, that you're the most respected one at the church and blah, 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 blah. And you, and you want to be called pastor and stuff like that. But that, that kind of attitude really doesn't get you anywhere with people. But if you have a humble heart where you'll, you'll get down there and you'll serve with him, you'll go help him clean the restroom or, or whatever. I think it, it speaks volumes to, to people. Yeah, absolutely. Really realizing that you're not like this, this untouchable, maybe I will get a glimpse or, or see this, see him as he walks by. Maybe I'll be able to steal a few moments from him. Yeah. I think what's so important about being a pastor is, is building that trust relationship, uh, with the people in your church family, because you really are, you're called to pastor people. Um, and, and we, we know, you know, the Bible tells us that there are ministry gifts. And I know you, I just listening to some teaching, you were talking on the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And in fact, one of the chapters talks about our secret weapon 
which is the baptism of the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit working through us. So he gives ministry gifts. And I think what's so peculiar to the pastoring gift is that you're called to these, you're called to people. Yeah, you know, you're, Jesus had disciples. He's caring for these disciples. He tells Peter, you know what, you're going to go through this time of temptation, but I'm praying that the, that Satan won't sift you, <laughs> that you'll come back to uh, this place of repentance even after you deny me. And that's what's so important, I believe. I agree with you. Yeah, working with people, you realize at the end of the day, I'm called to build and edify the church, which is people. Yep, I agree. So let's get into your book, Jesus Ain't Woke, um, which I always feel, I'll, I'll admit, the past few times I've just said the, said the title, it kind of sounds funny the way I say it, trying to sound, make it sound so proper. Jesus Ain't Woke. But, <laughs> but the title of the book is Jesus Ain't Woke. I really enjoyed it. It was a great read. Um, I think it's, it hits on basically like three or four, I would say, like three or four main things that are kind of like circulating through culture and have been for several years. And you took all these hot topics and put it in one book and says, this is what the Bible says. <laughs> and, and, you know, don't, don't allow deception to get you put off in any one area um, that, that Satan's obviously trying to deceive people and the church in general. The, the first chapter talks about basically what woke Christianity is. And um, that really, really connected with me because earlier last year I was studying on what it means to be bold, like actually Bible boldness. What is that? Not just having a, you know, a loud or forward attitude or being the loud guy, but like what does it mean to make a stand for Christ? Because that's what's so necessary. And when I was reading through this first chapter of Woke Christianity, um, you made you made this point that the American church, it seems that they're being intimidated by demands of culture. Tell us about that. Why is it necessary for us to see the difference between true Christianity and woke Christianity? Well, man, it all comes down to um, are, you, are you trying to please people or are you trying to please God? Because I feel like the American church has found itself in a place where it's all about pleasing people. What's going to keep people coming back? What's going to fill up all the chairs? What's going to keep people giving? And and so everything, our messages become catered to what's going to please people when that should have never, that should never be our goal. I mean, pleasing people, I mean, that's a great thing. We love for people to be happy. I'm not not showing up Sunday not to please people, but I'm also not showing up Sunday to please people. Like my goal is to please God. And um, so the American church, I mean, it's just become intimidated by culture's demand for inclusion, right? That's what's being shoved down our throats day in and day out. Inclusion, inclusion, inclusion. You got to accept sin. You got to accept sin. You got to accept it. And um, because of that, we forsake God's commands, what he leads us to do in his word. And we bow to the God. I call it the God of inclusion because I think it's its own God. So it's, it's a sad place when the church, Jesus's church, is bowing to the God of inclusion instead of bowing to who our God is and what he stands for in his word. You know, and that's the gospel and, and Christ himself, you see in, in, in the gospels, but the, the message of God, the word of God, it requires a decision, right? That the whole, the very meaning of Lord, Jesus is our Lord, is a definitive point in my life that I'm yielding and submitting to him, which means I no longer have an opinion. <laughs> concerning what he has stated what is true. If he says this is true, then it's truth, and I don't get an option in that. 
nor do I want one. But to be truly uh, a servant, a child of God, a friend of God, that we see those different things that we are as as children of God, as the body of Christ. Uh, I receive those places and positions and closeness to God because He's my Lord. But by the very nature of Him being Lord, He's my master. He's my commander. He's my king. And that requires me to make a decision that I'm going to follow Him. You know, I made a joke uh, last week on Jesus' idea of church growth. He says, follow me, deny yourself, and pick up your cross. I may have got that out of order, but but essentially, hey, you want to be a disciple? You want to be part of you know, the bunch that follow me? Deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow me. And that requires to be... That requires to make a decision. And I think so, if you water down the gospel, right, if, if you're no longer being salt and light, this de, making a decision, I'm going to stand with Christ, then it's so easy to just sway with the move of culture, which is ever-changing. Yeah, for sure. And just to add on to that, I think that's really going to help somebody, especially if there's any pastors listening. Um, we're taught to gauge whether we're doing the right thing based on the response of people. Hmm. Are they pleased? How did, how did, they, how did the, the congregation respond to this? When that's, that's not our gauge of success, right? Our gauge of success is, did what I preach please God? And if you change that in your mind, if you're like, my goal is not, I, I'm not looking at the gauge, of, I'm not looking at people's response to gauge whether I'm saying the right things, doing the right things as a pastor, I'm only looking to the word of God and what it says about how how I'm supposed to be teaching his people. Yeah, we see that when Jesus is ministering on the earth. I only do what I see my Father do. I only say what I hear my Father say. And, yes. and that's, that's you realize that you're not seeking the honor, uh, the glory from man. You're, you're going to have to make that decision. Do I want glory from man? Do I want honor from man? Or I want honor from the Father? Because you can't have both. I, I think it's it's so real and it's such a weighty decision when you get when you get right down to it through the word of god i wrote down just in our notes but john 12 there's there's just like this aside it's like this between jesus speaking to the pharisees and then some other teaching he does like right in the middle john 12 42 and 43 it says that there were some rulers and chief rulers of the synagogue they believed on jesus but they were afraid to say out loud they did for fear of man and Jesus makes that point earlier in the book of John that you, how can you get honor from God if you're trying to get the honor of man? And that's I think that probably is maybe the main motivator. Tell me if I'm wrong, but maybe the main motivator of woke Christianity is just based on this fear of man rather than the fear of God. Yeah, I completely agree. Because you're, you're chasing that approval and you, mm-hmm. you're more concerned about Will it sound? Will I get likes on Facebook? <laughs> will it give me shares? Will I get comments that are are pleasing? Uh, you know, again, like you're saying, will people come back? And of course, we want the church to grow because that means people are being saved and discipled and ministered to. But it's not at the expense of. It's kind of like, or we're both dads. We know our kids will grow if we give them the the proper amount of calories. They will grow. But do I give them the calories through ice cream and cake? Or do we need to maybe balance some of that with broccoli and Brussels sprouts and, and other good food? Because they need all the nutrition with it. I can, I can probably get some people in a room if I tell them what they want to hear. And that's a, that's a warning that the Bible gives us that in the last days there will be a spirit of deception. 
And I believe that plays a part in what Christianity is, this spirit of deception that will tickle the ears of hearers. Yeah, and I bet somebody's having a confrontation with within themselves right now, like, oh, oh my gosh, like, I'm doing what I do to please people. And I just want to give you a word of encouragement right now, if that's you, if that's what you're realizing right now, is I had I had that same confrontation. It just happened for me two years ago. When, you know, this, this season that we're in as a nation, it, it pushes you up against these things that are challenging. And I remember whenever I was starting to roll out these messages that God was putting on my heart that go in line with my book, Jesus Ain't Woke. This was before the book even existed. And I'm, I'm mm-hmm. preaching these things. And, and um, there were people that weren't very happy about it in my church. And... I can, and, and those were some challenging times. And I can remember sitting in my office after church and hearing from the Holy Spirit, like, are you going to please me? Or are you going to try to please these people? I was like, oh, and, you know, just just having that confrontation because like I, I want people to be happy. I want them to stick around and I don't want them to go off and gossip about me, you know, uh, when church is over. But when it comes down to it, you have to have that confrontation with yourself. Am I going to please God no matter what? No matter what people say about me, no matter how many people leave, no matter what givers stop giving, am I going to please God and do exactly what he told me to do, say exactly what he asked me to say? That's the confrontation, isn't it? Yeah, it is. That's that's that inward struggle that yeah, yep. that you have to settle within yourself that I'm going to pay this cost because there's a cost to it. There's a cost to following mm-hmm. Christ. It costs you everything. It costs spirit, soul, body thoughts, opinions, relationship. It's going to cost me everything. But the, the reward compared to the cost, the reward's so great that I get to, one, I enter into salvation, be saved here and now and in the, in the life to come, experience the goodness of God, but then also take people with me, those that will hear and believe, that they'll truly be saved, not just appease their conviction and and tell them what they want to hear so they can have a little bit of a you know a get by syndrome for for a little bit until they're convicted again by by truth by the holy spirit and that's that kind of takes to the to the next part of your book you titled it keep on sinning but i i really 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 enjoyed this this chapter in your book i enjoyed all of them but this one i felt was at least from what i've experienced in the past man i'm gonna say from what I've seen, seven, eight years in American church, again, and we're not, I know you would agree, we're not beating up on on the Christians in America, but if you're diluting or adding to or taking away from the Word of God, that that's, that's going to be destructive to you, it's destructive to our nation. We can see the results of a watered-down message of the gospel. And one of those things that I truly feel is a, is a end-time deception is this thing that sin just doesn't matter. That you can mm-hmm. sin and no big deal, right? We the Lord's gracious. We've got His grace. It's cool. He understands. You kind of hit the nail on the head with that in this chapter. Keep on sinning. Yeah, I mean that's that's the subject that a lot of people didn't like. I mean, because I spent several Sundays, and I still do, just explaining where we've gone wrong with sin. You know, it's there's a difference between sinning and repentance. Like, like you mess up, but you repent, you turn from it. You're like, oh man, I'm not going to do that anymore. There's a difference between that and keeping on sinning. Like, I'm just going to keep on doing this, even though I know that God's word says that I shouldn't do it. There's, there's an attitude difference there. And the reality is people are like, well, God's love covers it all, blah, 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 blah. It's like, actually God's love 
confronts sin. And the reason it confronts sin is because he wants it out of your life, because sin Mm. destroys your life. And God wants everything out of your life that's destroying your life. Why? Because he loves you. That's what his love does. And you know, if you go to the love chapter in the Bible, 1 Corinthians 13, and you read all the way through those love, and you don't just talk, love's patient, kind, you know, and then people only quote the first three, and then they don't keep going. But it also says that love does not rejoice in iniquity. That means that love does not rejoice in sin. And yet we have Christians everywhere that are rejoicing in the LGBTQ movement, which is sin, and it is leading people to destruction, and it is keeping people in bondage. And it's really disgusting that the church of Jesus Christ is responsible for telling people, yeah, just keep on living like that. Just keep on living in bondage. It's great. Isn't bondage great? Because that's not what Jesus gave us. Jesus doesn't just give us freedom from sin. Jesus gives us, or Jesus doesn't just give us forgiveness of sin. He gives us freedom from sin. So stop preaching the half gospel and help people get out of sin because that's what Jesus wants for us. You know, and that truly is the it, that's the power side of of the word of God is that it sets people free. Like the true message yes. of the gospel is freedom and it's liberty, right? Whomever the sun makes free is free mm-hmm. indeed. That's not just a cliche. Yes. That's not just something that goes well on a Facebook status or a t-shirt. I mean, that's that's true gospel message. That's the true power of God is setting a person free, setting the captive free. And you miss that when it's really, I think it comes down to a difference of godly compassion and human pity. Right, mm. human pity will say like, "Oh, I'm so sorry for you. It's okay. It'll be all right." But godly compassion is, "I love you so much. I'll tell you the truth because I don't want you to stay in the muck and mire of sin." Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I mean, I went through that personally myself, and I write about this in the book. But when mm-hmm. I was a teenager, I got caught in the trap of homosexuality, and I had people who were telling me, "Oh, it's okay. You were born that way," and blah 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 blah. And you know that feels good for a minute. And then there just comes a point where the whole time I recognize I was in bondage. And I believe that everybody who's out there pretending like that is a great lifestyle to live in, whenever they go home at night, whenever they're by themselves, they know, crap, I'm in bondage. And they, they just know it. But then everybody else is like, oh, it's okay. It's freedom. And so I had that same thing going on. And finally, I just got tired of it. I got tired of people telling me it was okay. I got tired of, of you know, just, just being in, in that bondage. And at the same time, it's like I didn't feel like I could ask for help from anybody in my church because it's such a taboo subject. I mean, today it's a little bit easier to talk about than it was 15 years ago. Um, but I finally just got into my room and I was like, you know, Jesus, I, I'm tired of this. Like, I want you to take this away from me. And really, I'd asked him for forgiveness a lot uh, leading up to this point. Like every time that I'd get caught up in it and then I'd, I'd feel bad about it and ask for forgiveness. And, and then I'd go through that same cycle and over and over again. And it wasn't until like this point where I was like, Jesus, I don't want just forgiveness. I want you to take this away from me. Mm. And he did. I mean, as soon as I made that choice that I wanted him to take it away, he he took it away. And it's not yeah. that I like never had thoughts or anything like that that I had to deal with after that, but I had this newfound power on the inside of me to overcome this issue that I was facing. And obviously, you know, you see the results of that. I got married. I've been married for 15 years now. I have I have five kids. And, and I mean, that's what God does. He he redeems you back to the life that he called you to. And it's just, it's a beautiful thing. And that goes back in what we were just talking about a few minutes ago, the Lordship of Christ Jesus. You, you wrote, I wrote it down, that day Jesus became not just my Savior, but my mm. Lord. And, and I, I, 
that hit a chord with me. I mean, that struck my heart so powerfully because that's something I came upon in myself. Well, I say my, I came upon it. The Holy Spirit revealed it to me in studying the Word. But, you know, we're never called, in a sense, to say, you know, Jesus, please be my Savior. You know, Romans 10 tells us we confess Christ our Lord. And in Him being our Lord, we experience salvation. Because really, when you get saved, you're not... You can ask for forgiveness of sin for sure, absolutely. But you see like that in 1 John. I know you pulled several scriptures from 1 John. Uh, God is just and faithful to forgive us and cleanse us of our sin when we repent. Repentance, you know, we, we realize, hey, this is wrong and I need to make it right. But when you come to Christ to be saved, really it's, Lord, I'm, I'm giving myself to you. I'm now, you know, your servant, your child, and you're my Lord. And you experience salvation and he makes you clean in a brand new creation when you call upon him as your Lord. And, and that's really, that's the crux of it, isn't it? I mean, when, it, when you're dealing with sin, am I, who, who's, who will be my master? Will it be? Because there's only two options. Will it be Christ or will it be Satan? Jesus said that, you know, there's the children of disobedience and they're, they're just doing the work of their father. And whether people realize it or not at the moment, if Jesus isn't your Lord, then you are a child of disobedience, imitating your father Satan. Because the nature in you, you're dead in sin. It's just your nature. I think I think sometimes um, some, you know, maybe Christians overlook that, that people have to have an encounter with Christ and his spirit and be changed and be made a new creation because you can't just tell people, do this and don't do that. It's like you were saying that day, Lord, don't just forgive me. I, I, I want forgiveness, but I want to be free from it. And then you had this power to be free from it. It's not like a do a list of do's and don'ts. That's not Christianity. It's a power of God equipping you to live holy unto him. And, and it's much more than this is wrong, that's right. Though there is wrong and right. It's Christ empowering you to live holy. And I think, um, I think what... I feel when it comes to this sin issue, especially as we can see in our culture, you know, man, I just, just the other day, a precious man, I, I pray for him, but you know, so he, he's got this TikTok channel, he's, he's doing different, um, talking about scripture and things, and he made this point, look, it doesn't matter what you're doing, the blood of Jesus covers it, blah, 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 kind of going just right into this grace thing, that this unbiblical grace thing that it doesn't matter what you do it's all right the blood of jesus covers it but there's no power in that and i think there has to be a cleansing too in the people who are teaching and preaching I, so, sometimes i wonder are people afraid are pastors or evangelists or teachers or the TikTok teachers or whatever instagram preachers do they have something in their heart they need to be free of too because if you're bound up by something you're gonna it's gonna be real hard for you to call out someone else's you know, hey, this is the way to freedom if you're not experiencing it yourself. Yeah, you're right. Pastors and teachers, they need to have that same revelation. And I mean, this is this is a new revelation for me. I mean, this all started to unfold for me in 2020 because I didn't necessarily preach that, that abuse of grace, um, mm. but I didn't deny it either. You know, I just kind of, mm. you know, it sounds good and people like to hear it. So, but all until I had a confrontation, the Holy Spirit started to teach me in 2020 about what sin really does and, and what our relationship should be. And, and really what it boils down to, and this is a statement that I use in my church a lot, is that when you believe in Jesus, you follow Jesus. And, and how you can relate that to is like, I've never met a football fan who doesn't follow 
their favorite team. Even if they're losing, they're going to all the games, they're spending money, they're buying the gear. I mean, they're, they're following the team because they believe in the team. So the reality is, if you say you believe in Jesus, which that's, that's how we receive salvation, right? It's, it's through our confession of faith. It's mm-hmm. through believing in Jesus. But if we say that we believe, then we better be following. Because if you're not following, you probably don't believe. And, and you can't get this like messed up because a lot of people will hear that and they'll be like, oh, so I have to earn my salvation. It's all about what I do. It's like, no, you can't earn your salvation. Salvation was given to you by a free gift. But the results of your salvation should be that you're following Jesus why would you not follow the one who saved you? Why would you not follow the one who has freed you from sin? If you're, if you're struggling to follow Jesus, you may just need to revisit and be like, do I really believe? And you need to have that confrontation with yourself. Yeah, Jesus makes that point. Uh, John 14, John 15, right before he's getting ready to go to the cross and pay the price of, and the debt of sin, he makes that point. If you love me, you'll follow me. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Mm-hmm. And, and I think what's so... Again, like you're saying, some people get it, oh, you're trying to earn your salvation. It's not an earning of it, but it's it's like when Jesus teaches in that that same area of John, John 15, if you're in the vine, if you're a branch connected to the vine, you know, the branch on an apple tree just produces apples. That's just what it does. The life of the tree flowing through the branch, and apples come off on the branch because there's life in it. It's just, it's just what I do. I'm a Christian. I just follow Jesus. And... And I think when you get it that simple, that he, his spirit's indwelling in me. And that's just what I do. There's things that I do that look like Christ. There's things that you do that look like Christ. And then we can see, too, if there's some uh, bad fruit coming out. Lord, prune it away. Cut it away. I don't want to produce anything else but what your life produces. And that's when you really get a hold of that very simple biblical revelation that the life of Christ that can save me, can make me holy, then you do become a, a witness in everything you say and do, and it and it it'll become it'll become a sign work. You'll become a mystery, a wonder to people, because they'll want to know, hey, how you know you're different? <laughs> how come you live different? How come you can you can stand up even though everyone else is going the opposite direction of what you're going? How can you say something that people will say is hateful? Like, hey, if you're caught up in and homosexuality, it's, it's not just the way, you know, people are going to say you were born that way. That's not the truth. This is the truth that, that Christ came to set you free from it or whatever other sin of the sin of the culture, culture may be preaching. Yeah, and I want to point out, too, that following Jesus, like we're talking about right now, that's that doesn't mean perfection. None of us are living mm-hmm. this perfect life. Following Jesus, like, gives us this picture of a journey, Right. You're, you're following him down this journey. And on this journey, he's leading you out of homosexuality. He's leading you away from this and away from that and towards this and towards that. And I mean, you can probably relate to this too, that, I mean, that's that's been the story of my life. There's been some things that were in my life five years ago that are not in my life today that I had no idea five years ago that it shouldn't be in my life. And then, but on this journey with Jesus, you know, he says, hey, let's, let's go this way. And so you follow him because, because you trust him, you know? I mean, it's, I don't know, it's fun to follow Jesus. And I just don't understand why people wouldn't want to. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and that's the thing. It's, it's not that you're, you're exact, you, you said it exactly right, that you have to be perfect. Um, 
you know, the, the Spirit of God's perfecting us, bringing us to a place of completion, but it doesn't mean that you, you're, you're going to get it right every single time because there is grace for that. If, if, if you make a choice, if you go the wrong way you shouldn't go, if you decide, you know, Jesus says, let's go this way and think, ah, you know what, I feel like I'm going to go this way, and you submit to that, well, there is, there is grace for that. There is a time where when you repent, He'll cleanse you and forgive you of that. Um, but it is a continuous kind of like, you know, that potter working on the clay. He keeps forming and fashioning it and bringing you to a place of completion. Now, I wanted to get to this next part. Uh, you mentioned this, of course, at the beginning of the, of the podcast, a father of five. And you, you gave a really interesting point that I never saw of it this way, but you mentioned in the chapter talk, talking about an attack on children. Uh, my wife and I were just talking about this about a week or two before I even got the book in. And so when I read this chapter, there was, it was Wednesday evening after church when I got time to sit down with this book. It came earlier that day, or with your book. And uh, I was reading it, and when I got to that chapter, um, it was later that evening, you know, church with Wednesday night church and all that, come home, put the daughter to bed, eat a little bit of supper. It's like 9, 30, 10. My wife's already asleep on the couch with a rerun of, you know, some some 90s rerun show <laughs> on Hulu playing and I'm reading and I wake her up and say you got to hear this you got to hear this and I'm reading all these portions out of this chapter on the uh, on the attack of children because we were just talking about it a week ago or so that there really is in this culture it's so sad that that this idea has been sold that like children are a burden that uh mm-hmm. and you make the point I wrote it down. Your kids are meant to walk with you through life, not be pushed aside while you live your life. But that really, you made the truthful statement, which is the exact opposite of what culture will try to sell you. It's like, oh, I wish I could, but, you know, I got kids. Or I'll have fun one day in 18 years when they're out of the house. Tell us about that. How I mean, truly to me, having my daughter was one of the greatest things that's ever happened. Yeah, I mean, you can't deny how culture has tried to shove down our throats that kids are a nuisance. I mean, you, I know, I've heard, I don't know this firsthand because I haven't been over there, but like I've heard if you go to California, there's some restaurants there that you can't even bring your kids to because they're mm. adult-only restaurants because kids are too noisy and, and blah, 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 blah. And then, I mean, you even like look in how this has come into our churches and it's like we can't have church we can't have kids in our main service because they'll be a distraction they'll they'll get in the way and and i mean then then that comes into our homes and in our homes people are like well your your kids are keeping you from your dreams you could be doing this but you have kids or you could be doing that but you have kids and and all these things in our lives like kids become a nuisance and you can't wait to get them out of the house you can't wait to become an empty nester and it's like man Kids are a blessing from the Lord. Like, how have we gotten so off biblically? And I, I think that I can understand that culture would do this. Like, people who don't know God, people who don't know his word, that they would have these thoughts. But for the people of God, for churches to have these thoughts that kids are somehow a problem or a nuisance and you can only have two and or maybe you shouldn't have any and blah, 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 blah. I'm just like, where does this come from? It's because we've let culture get into us. We've let culture infect us when we need to get back into the word and realize that how much of a blessing they are. I mean, they're our inheritance, right? I mean, it's just mm. kids are a beautiful thing. And I'm not in any way, like uh, downplaying the challenge of raising children, man, I feel the weight <laughs> of raising children. It is so hard. I mean, you got to let go of so much selfishness. You have so much personal growth that you have to walk through whenever you have kids. But by the end of it, whenever you walk through those things, you're like, wow, my kids made me a better person. I mean, all around, yeah. kids, kids, kids help you. Kids are an asset. Kids are just, they're a beautiful thing. 
I love it. Yeah. I was actually uh, doing marriage counseling uh, several months ago, and it was for a couple. I just did my first wedding ever, like two months ago. So for this couple, uh, several months ago, we're going through premarital counseling. And and when we were talking through some different things, like within the first or second session, I'd already mentioned about children. And they're like, well, we're probably going to wait a few years. And I was like, ah, I may be jumping the gun a little bit, but man, kids are great. Because I wanted to let them know, hey, don't listen to what everyone else is saying. Because, I, and I, this is another thing that I connected with you on. Uh, tell the podcast family about the testimony of you and your wife. Your wife wasn't supposed to have children or, or was diagnosed not able to have children. Is that correct? Yeah. I mean, in our second year of marriage, the doctor told her that she would never have kids. And I mean, this was after she was on birth control for the first few months of our marriage, but it didn't set well with her. And so she went off mm-hmm. of birth control and, and, you know, we didn't get pregnant for the, for a year after that. And so she went and saw the doctor. The doctor said, well, you're never going to get pregnant. And so we walked out this journey, trusting God, believing God that his promises are true. He said that we would have kids. And so we believed that. And we had to believe that and stand on that for six years, six years mm-hmm. without any, we weren't doing anything to prevent pregnancy. I mean, any other couple would have gotten pregnant during that six year period of time, but nothing. And then all of a sudden, bam, my wife got pregnant with no, I mean, we, we, I'm not against like fertility things and stuff like that, but we didn't do any of that. We were trusting God. She got pregnant and now, as you know, five kids in six years. So when God heals you and he does a work in your body, does he do it? (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. And that was this kind of the same situation with my wife and I, my wife, Laura, um, before we were even married, I think before we were even dating, when she was uh, an older teen, uh, diagnosed with a certain thing, and they said, you know what, if you have children, it's going to be very difficult, if, you know, if that even happens. And so I guess it was probably six, maybe seven or eight years into marriage. You know, we're, we get to a point, the first few years, we're just kind of doing our thing. We realize, all right, we want to start having children. And several years go by, and, um, you know, no children at that point. And my wife gets a hold of a, a particular lady, Carolyn Shuttlesworth, an evangelist, uh, and she has this teaching that she, my wife found a teaching of hers, teaching on, you know, about God's provision for children and how it's God's will for us to have children. And so I come home one day and I see note cards of just promises throughout the Bible everywhere. I mean, they're, they're in the bedroom, they're on, they're on the mirror in the bathroom, they're on the fridge, they're nightstand. And let me tell you something, we just stood on the Word of God, just like you're saying, and here we are. We're, we haven't caught up with five. We've got to get the moving. We've got to get those note cards back out. But, I mean, of course, she's healed and whole. Everything's great. And and that was the thing, too. It was, again, I you know, I love people. I love, I love medical professionals. I love doctors and nurses. I love people that spend time to become experts in human knowledge. But the extent of human knowledge is that it does, people don't know everything. And if I have the Word of God, that's the highest form of knowledge. That's, that is truth. And I accept the reality of God's Word regardless of what my eyes see, my ears hear. And um, because when my wife gets pregnant, you know, all right, if you can carry, right? If, if we mm-hmm. can get to that point. And we, we went from not just, Lord, we believe that we're not only going to, that Laura will become pregnant, but we'll have a problem-free uh, uh, pregnancy, uh, delivery, mm-hmm. recovery, everything. Yes. And I'm one of the words that we heard through that entire process was perfect. You know, when w- the baby's perfect, recovery's perfect, you look perfect. Month later, everything's perfect. And so just 
praise God for that. I, I just smiled so big when I was reading, reading that your testimony in the book about that. I love it, man. It's beautiful. And, and you, you made this point, you used the word divine multiplication. Um, lots of times, maybe, maybe it is Americanized culture, but you think divine multiplication, some people might immediately gravitate to money. But what, what a treasure to see divine mul- multiplication of families uh, mm-hmm. with children. Because I'm the same way. I told I told Laura, you know, I'm all I'm ready. Let's get a Sprinter van. Let's you know a 12 passenger van uh, for the Bible family. That that'll work for me any day of the week. She's like, oh, maybe three or four. We'll see what happens there. I was like, oh, well, if you want to keep going to a baker's dozen, I'm fine with it. <laughs> I love it, man. But this thought of it, that children being a nuisance. It's uh, you, and you made this point. We have to be advocates of righteousness, not only of of parenting children that they're not a nuisance that they're a blessing they're a reward from christ but it's not just you know having them and enjoying them but we have to protect them we have to advocate for them because i I noticed in this book you mentioned it also following on your instagram with with its education i noticed this i was checking out your church website that y'all have uh is it culture groups that you're working with different things in the culture one of them is guardians for schools right monitoring basically yep education what your children are being taught yeah we have a teacher in our congregation and um the sex education that they do in schools now she's a science teacher so she had to be the one to like present that information to the kids and she previewed it she's like i'm going to preview it before i give it to my kids and it was just it was basically basically lgbtq agenda being shoved down kids throats and she's like i'm not showing this to my kids Mm. i'm just not doing it and she took a stand and she took a lot of flack for it at first but the cool thing is the result the results of her taking a stand that her school didn't even do sex education the next year because they they're so like bum fuzzled about like what do we do now because we have this teacher in our school who's going to come against this this stuff that they're trying to push on our schools so yeah that's what that group's for at our church is is standing up for kids everywhere that we can't allow this stuff in our kids. We can't allow the books in there and, and all this stuff that's going on in our schools. Like somebody's got to stand up and say, uh-uh, not happening here. Yeah, and that's that's the thing. I, I think sometimes that churches or Christians overlook that, uh, you know, being a Christian means that you're going to stand up for truth, not just behind the pulpit or in the church, but everywhere that you go. So I'm going to stand up for truth in my schools. I'm going to stand up for truth in politics. And this is something that I think that is is necessary for Christians to understand. And we've talked about this. The podcast family will remember this. Um, but whatever God's called you to do it, do it with excellence. Do it with the anointing of the Holy Spirit because God doesn't need just need anointed pastors, anointed uh, Bible school teachers, anointed people, worship pastors. He needs anointed mechanics, anointed doctors, anointed teachers, anointed lawyers. He needs people that are in the marketplace full of the Holy Spirit who will stand up for truth because if you if you withdraw Christian influence from, especially we see in our nation and of America, that was built upon Christian doctrine in the Bible. If you withdraw that Christian influence, then who else is left to manage school, politics, uh, the marketplace, other than people who don't have the Spirit of God? Sinners that are driven by a sin nature and a sin mentality. Yeah, and that's exactly what we're seeing right now, right? I mean, whatever whatever space that righteousness does not occupy, like it just creates a vacuum for darkness to occupy. And that's where we are in America. But we're going to do something to change that. That's, that's what we're working towards through those culture impact teams. Yeah, I love that. I love that idea because I, I, I just think about it in, in our church as well, because you stand up for truth, you stand up for what's right. And, and I like your, I just like your spirit about, 
it's a true spirit of a pastor, but just in this conversation, you made this point to make a definitive stand and say, this is right and this is wrong. And then, hey, if you're feeling this way, let's let's move toward the direction of God's word and his truth, loving on people. Because in my church, you know, I could stand up at the pulpit and say, well, you know, bless God, this, this craziness being taught in, in schools. But also realizing that I have four or five different people in our church that are teachers. Well, there's the answer, right? Now, yes, this is that's the stuff that's being taught in schools is just another way that the enemy's trying to sow deceit and and trying to deceive people. But here are some people that are going to influence it. I need to work with them. Not only that, but pray and believe that they'll move up to become superintendent, principals, and then they can yes. influence the entire school with righteousness. Yeah, man, that that is so the I, church. That's what the church is supposed to be doing. Yeah, salt and light. We're called to be salt and light. The season, the things yep. around us. Well, as we're coming to a close, um, I just want to mention this other part. Uh, to the last chapter you had, our secret weapon. Tell us about how necessary it is for us to, to have the baptism of the Holy Spirit and His power. Uh, he's the Spirit of truth. We see the different ministries of the Holy Spirit. But tell us how necessary that is for us as Christians in today's world. And the Holy Spirit gives us two things. Well, three. He gives us power, he gives us boldness, and he gives us truth. And so if you're not filled with the Holy Spirit, if you don't have that baptism, you're walking around powerless. You're walking around without boldness. And so, I mean, the whole reason that Jesus gave us the Holy Spirit is so that we could be a witness for him. That, that was the next assignment. Like, I'm going to fill you with the Holy Spirit so you can go out and be a witness to the nations. And so if you're like, man, I'm struggling to tell my friends about Jesus or, uh, you know, whatever, it's like, hmm. Get filled with the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit is what gives you that boldness. You don't have to work it up out of yourself because you can't. You can't. I mean, you can't just work that up naturally, maybe for a second, and then it fades away again. But the Holy Spirit gives you that boldness. But he also gives you truth. And that's why so many Christians are deceived. So many people are deceived today is because they're not filled with the Holy Spirit. So they don't have that spirit of truth living on the inside of them and functioning on the inside of them. So they, they hear this thing over there like, well, that sounds pretty good. So, so that's got to be right. But man, when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you hear those things that sound good and you're just like, man, you know, that's, that it sounds good, but it's not right. And then you get into the word and the Holy Spirit teaches you through the word of God and leads you into old truth. And you're like, oh, I see it. It's, it's clear as day. Man, if people, if the church, the entire church was filled with the Holy Spirit throughout all this COVID drama and everything we're going through right now, mm-hmm. they'd see through all the BS. I mean, I don't know if I'm allowed to say that on here, but they'd see yeah, through, <laughs> through through all that crap. So, yeah. Yeah. It, it, it's, it's a PG-rated Christian podcast channel, so. <laughs> no, absolutely. Yeah. And I think, too, what I've noticed when you read through, like, the book of Acts, the 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 apostles the disciples they never pray for instance they don't pray for faith right faith comes by hearing the word of god faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of god i know being at rama you probably heard that ten thousand times right <laughs> but uh yep. the, the apostles they pray and it's specifically it's a prayer point i pray all the time acts four they pray for boldness they don't pray for faith mm-hmm. you you receive faith by hearing they they prayed for boldness to speak the word of god because that that's the power, that's the way God's going to move and, and bring power into a situation and bring change to a situation is through His Word. And it, you got to have the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit to empower you. I like those three points, the power, boldness, and truth. 
He's going to give you power. He's going to give you power to be a witness. You know, it's good. It's good to have an on-fire church service. It's good to have anointed worship. It's good to have good teaching and preaching. But if the power and the work of the Holy Spirit is always confined within the church, then we're not really carried that power out to Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth to go out into our city, our state, our nation, those around us. And that's, that is a without that power to witness, well, then how will Christ reach the, the people that need to hear this truth and bring it with boldness? I think that that really is. Tell me, just give me your opinion. I mean, is it just because of, I don't know, rehearsed doctrines of different denominations and stances on the Holy Spirit? Is it because there's people just don't know about the baptizing power of the Holy Spirit, that it is something that we receive, we're saved and made new creations, but like Christ said, you know, you need to be endued with power, clothed with power. What do you think it is that may be the the limiting factor on so many people that have not received the power of the Holy Spirit? I think it all comes down to the fact that we live in the information age, and so we we put all this um, clout on intellect and understanding Mm. things with our minds, and the Holy Spirit's not something that can be understood that way. It's something that has to be received. And then often what the Holy Spirit does through you and, and asks you to do doesn't make sense to your natural mind, but you have to step forth and do it anyway. And so, I mean, I think that's the barrier. It's like we, we want to understand it with our intellect because we're, we're the smartest, you know, people that ever roam the earth. And, and to have something that we can't understand with our mind, it's just, it throws us off. Yeah, that, that's... I've never thought of it that way, but that makes a lot of sense because we live in the age of where if I don't know it, I'll just Google it as opposed mm-hmm. to, you know, I need, I need to yield to the Holy Spirit, which is, it's this spiritual thing. I'm not going to understand it through my natural mind. And like you say, he's going to, he'll give me instruction and naturally it just doesn't make sense. You know, it's like, it's like, um, I know you've been ministering this with your, your church family that I've seen and also on your, on your YouTube channel. Um, the way God, uh, what is it that you, you mentioned? God privilege. That's the phrase that you've coined, God privilege. It doesn't make sense that I can tithe and give, yet increase in money. That doesn't make natural sense. Mm-hmm. You, were, you mentioned how you were working with the finances um, in your younger years with the church. It doesn't make sense for me to subtract, yet multiply. How do you multiply with subtraction? But with God, it does make sense because you've sown seed. So it's a, it's a completely different shift. You can't use the natural thinking or the thinking of this world system, which would say you're subtracting. You have to get on a higher level of thinking, which you access through the Holy Spirit, who's the Spirit of Truth. And that's that's something I'm so thankful for, that um, that you realize that the Holy Spirit is the master teacher, right? The whole point that Jesus said, I have to leave, because if I don't, the Comforter, the Paraclete, the one who comes to help, he can't come unless I leave. And even though the disciples didn't understand at that point, they were sad, it was better for him to leave so that the same spirit that indwelt him on the earth as a man could feel everyone that would believe on him. Yep, man, that's good stuff. I love I love the Holy Spirit. I mean, we didn't even get to touch on the fact that the, the gifts of the Holy Spirit edify the church and how the church has missed out on that. But 
man, if you, if you, if you want help, like with your relationship with the Holy Spirit, I have a free video series on that and you can access that on my website at kdyoung.com. So if you're in that position where you're like, man, I want the Holy Spirit. I want to be filled with the Holy Spirit, but I'm having a hard time with it. Like just go watch that video series. It'll walk you through those challenges that you're having and, and get you to a point where you can just receive and be filled and, and get that power and get that boldness and get that truth because you need it. Yeah, absolutely. You need to sign up for that course. Is God Privilege as well? Is that one of those courses that they can sign up for as well? Yep, and that one's all about living in God's promise of wealth. So you'll find both of those on my website at kdyoung.com. That's awesome. And that's where they can get their copy of Jesus Ain't Woke as well, correct? Yep, and my name is spelt with a K. I don't know why my mom did that, so it's k-a-d-e-young.com. <laughs> well, it's because you got to stand out. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> All right, so uh, speed round. I always like to ask a few fun questions before we finish up this interview. What's your favorite thing to do? If you're going to spend time, whether it's family, by yourself, what's the favorite thing you like to do to pass time? So I love to be outside, and the main things I do outside are hiking, and I love to go drive the back roads in my convertible. Oh, nice. What kind of convertible you got? I have a 2007 Jaguar XK. And the way that came into my life is quite a testimony in itself. But people think that I spent lots of money on a car, but I got a really sweet deal on it. And it was totally out of character for me because I'm, I'm a uh, uh, just just what I need type of guy. Like I'm, I'm pretty basic. My my closet's full of black T-shirts and that's all I wear. But so when I drove <laughs> home in like this Jag, like people was like, what happened to Cade? But man, I've had it for over a year now. It's just been such a blessing just to get out with the top down and and ride around on the back roads, talk to the Lord, and just enjoy His creation. It's awesome. That's so fun. I had a, a Jeep Wrangler, so definitely not a Jaguar. But nonetheless, I could take the top off. And uh, the problem with the Jeep was uh, you can't put a baby seat, not at least not in a 95 YJ. You couldn't put a, uh, a baby seat in the back. So between that and the work truck, I actually sold that, and I'm now scooting around in a Honda Pilot, but glad to do it. Every time I look in that back rear view mirror and I see my daughter just laughing and smiling. But one day I'm going to get that, that Jeep back with the, with the top down and do the same. It, it's fun just to be out there in the wind and the sun. Yeah, man, we have our Honda Odyssey parked next to our Jaguar convertible. It's just, it's the perfect pair in the garage. <laughs> nice. That's awesome. All right. Paper or digital Bible? If so you're definitely a mixture of both. Definitely yeah. a mixture of both, but I hard lean towards my paper Bible. Whenever I sit down every morning to read the Bible, I got my paper Bible out. Unless I got to do some research or like try to find a scripture in there, then that's when I pull out the digital thing. But man, I love, I love this thing. I mean, I'm just like, hold it close. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the thing. I, that's the same answer I've gotten in these previous interviews. And to me, it makes sense. I've mentioned this before on the podcast, but like, I love my paper Bible. Of course, I've got, you know, Olive Tree, Logos on different computer, tablet, all that stuff. And the, you know, type in something and you get 10,000 results and probably more than I can even consume on study and searching. But with a paper Bible, I can get lost in it. I never get a notification. It doesn't die. I don't have to plug it in. There's just something tactile about holding that paper Bible that, that I just love. And I would encourage encourage everyone to have one. All right, last question. And I, I put it in parentheses to clarify uh, because this has been something previously like the other people I've talked to. They're like, well, you know, I know obviously Jesus is the, the correct answer or at least the Christian answer I should give. But apart from our Lord and Savior, Christ Jesus, if you could sit down and talk with anyone, living or dead, who's it going to be? Well, I'm glad you didn't take this one out of the mix too, but I would definitely sit down with the Apostle Paul. 
I mean, he's like oh, nice. the ultimate. He's like the ultimate coach for pastors, right? And I would just love to sit down with him and get that continual feedback from him on, "Hey, Paul, like how how am I doing leading my church? Because I know you got the answers, and you can show me everything that I'm doing wrong. Like I just love to sit down and have that conversation with him because I know he'd also be encouraging me on the things that I'm doing right. And of course, we get to do yeah. that by reading the epistles, you know, Philippians, Ephesians, all those great books. And but yeah, I would love that. That's a great answer. Yeah, that's uh. He would be, yeah, I mean, being an apostle, obviously, in the truest sense, planning churches, he's got those letters he wrote to Timothy and Titus, you know, on how to be a pastor. That's that's a great answer. Well, Pastor Cade, thank you so, so much for letting me uh, have this conversation with you here. And again, if you would, I know you've already mentioned it, and I'll put it in the show notes, but just one more time, let everyone know where they can get all access to all your resources and your book, Jesus Ain't Woke. Yeah, you'll find everything on my website at cadeyoung.com, K-A-D-E, young.com. And of course, if you're if you're in the church world of sound or worship, collaborate worship, check them out there as well with all their great resources. And again, Pastor Cade, thank you so much for being on the Faith for My Generation podcast. We really have enjoyed it. Thank you, man. It's truly an honor. And remember, we are the faithful. We'll see you next time. God bless. Thanks so much for joining me for this episode of the Faith for My Generation podcast. Remember, every Monday I've got a brand new wake-up call for you, and every Thursday I've got a brand new episode right here on Faith for My Generation podcast. And remember, we are the faithful.